0: I'm Sawyer Wooded. And I'm Scott Tress. Welcome to The Stories That Make Us. This podcast uses the tool of the Enneagram to explore the beauty and complexity of humanity through stories, both real and fictional. Some episodes, we interview live
1: guests about their stories through the lens of their types other episodes, we'll dissect fictional characters to discover their types and learn more about ourselves in the process. Because the reality is, it can be hard to see ourselves
0: accurately. The eye can see everything but itself. Thanks for joining us, and let's get to it. Oh, there's, that was our (laughs) (laughs) count-in. And one. (laughs) And I forgot to turn off the count in for logic. Um, yeah, at least I didn't. here's the metronome. <laughs> I wish we were doing video, so I had you dancing on video.
1: <laughs> oh, man.
0: Okay. Hello, people. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. I was going to try to say something else, like our episode or something, but... That just didn't work. Mm. So I made it awkward instead. Podcast works. It's, I mean, it, it is what it is. It is a podcast. Okay. I have a question for you mm. as per usual. Scott, yes. Let's hear it. What is your most unpopular food opinion? Mm. Mm.
1: Yes. Okay. No, this is good. Oh, he's quick. This is good because I have I have thought about this and this oh, is a, an argument I've had with, with others. Of course you did. I think have. that brunch is trash. Ooh. Brunch is so bad. <laughs> Let's be honest. Literally, all brunch is. The only reason why people like it is because they go to it late and they can sleep in more. When you actually look at what is provided, you take the worst elements of lunch and the worst elements of breakfast and you bring it together. About 200,000 white girls just gasped. <laughs> you have you have like lunch meat that's been sitting out on the counter with a couple pieces of white bread and they say, oh, this is the lunch portion. And then you go to the breakfast and it's like, okay, sure, you can make your own omelette. It's like, I can do that at home. Like, that's really not that impressive. Or you have the waffle maker that it always ends up being too dry. It's like, and you have pastries that were made six days ago. This is not good. I've never met someone with so many opinions about brunch. <laughs> I just, people always talk about brunch like it's this amazing thing and it's so <laughs> <get> overrated.
0: <laughs> it's like Sunday brunch. On.
1: Unless oh, you're yeah. going to one of those places at the beach that are like $150 a person with with jumbo shrimp and yeah. salmon it's like okay right. well that doesn't count that was amazing that was the best <laughs> rant thank you i and
0: you well my answer is just first of all it's going to pale completely in comparison <laughs> to that amazing <laughs> my rant. passion but i i don't really have too much of an opinion <laughs> because i eat just about any kind of food um i really love food however i will say this i think that steak is overrated Ooh. <laughs> wait hold on Hold on, before you burn me at the steak. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to make that pun. <laughs> oh, that's bad. That was amazing. Yeah. Before... So tell
1: so tell us why you always cook your steak well done.
0: Before no. <laughs> that's not true. That is not true. That is worse, actually, <laughs> in my opinion. Um I yes. I like a nice medium steak. Fair enough. But I I feel like everyone talks about steak as if it is the pinnacle of like dinner foods. And like I <laughs> I enjoy steak. I'm not hating on it, but honestly, if there's like a really good like salmon dish or something, I'll probably choose that over yeah. the steak. I just I just think that it's a little overrated. I I don't think you're wrong.
1: Don't tell okay. anyone cool. I said that, but it's you're wrong about I brunch. Love... But I appreciate oh. that. <laughs> Rude. What were you gonna say? You love? No, I you... I love steak, but yeah, yeah. It's in and of itself. It's like I. There's a lot of dishes I prefer over steak. Mm-hmm. It's like steak is, is great, but I'm not, I'm not salivating at the mouth every time somebody makes it.
0: <laughs> salivating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, let's jump into the episode. I am so excited for this series that we're about to do. Mm-hmm. This is our first fictional character series, which is in our show notes for our show on Spotify <laughs> and Apple and such. It talks about how we are going to explore the lives of people, real and fictional, And up until now, up until episode 14, it has all been real, people. And now we're finally doing fictional, and I'm super excited about it. Scott, tell the people what we are doing.
1: Yes, we are very excited to kick things off with the Harry Potter series. Now, Mm -hmm. just for brevity's sake, we've decided, okay, we're going to focus on the movies. As I'm sure many of you Harry Potter fans know, certain characters are quite different from book to movie. Yeah. So if you disagree because you remember a certain scene from the book that did this, that, and the other, well, we're sorry. We're trying to, to piece them apart. Obviously it'll, right. it'll bleed, uh, between the two. We We've both read the books. We've seen the movies multiple times, mm-hmm. so it's, it's going to happen, but we are trying to utilize evidence from the movie specifically. Mm-hmm. Totally. So we have a couple of tips that we're going to kind of follow as we type these fictional characters.
0: And part of that is so that Scott and I have some, form of structure as we work through these movies but also it's for you dear listener as you follow along as well and and also i think it's just some helpful things to keep in mind about the enneagram you know the enneagram as we've talked about many times is so very complex it's also deeply powerful and so when you have something that is complex and powerful you have to handle it with care the first of these tips is that we can type these characters Because they are fictional, if they were real people, then, you know, some podcasters I listen to say that there's one rule in typing people, and that rule is don't. (laughs) (laughs) With fictional characters, we're not risking potentially harming a person by assuming their motivations or their habits or their negative qualities or positive qualities. Uh, In real life, you would never want to tell someone what their type is because it can be damaging for those reasons. Not to mention the process of growth and self-awareness needs to be a journey that you take and you invite others into with you. Mm. You need to have agency and a desire to change and a desire to know yourself. Otherwise, you won't change and you won't find healing. So when it comes to Enneagram typing, your friends and an Enneagram coach such as myself can help guide you towards your type. But ultimately, you need to decide which type you most identify with. And when I'm, when I'm actually working with people or just talking to friends or family members about their types and they're, they're asking me to help them figure out what type they are, I just ask a ton of questions. Mm. And they end up usually stumbling onto their type themselves. That is the goal, you know, because I don't really know what's motivating them. That's why I can approach it with curiosity
1: and questions. So that's the first one. Yeah. We can do this and because they're fictional. And I'd say you can even use <clears throat> the practice of typing fictional characters as a way not to learn how to type others but learn as a way to type yourself so as you learn to understand what the different quirks are between these characters and what makes them who they are in a safe environment because they're fictional characters you can then use those skills to say okay what does that mean about me and how i respond to things and what that means about my type yeah and what's that saying art imitates life right
0: Mm. yep and so the cool thing about fictional characters is no matter who we are if we're writing characters if a character is written well My theory is that you should be able to figure out what their Enneagram type is. Like, you should be able to figure it out if they're written well. Because the author will portray their motivations in a way that we can sympathize, empathize, and and then we also understand their behaviors from the motivation that's made clear to us through the work and the building of the character. So yes, that's the first tip. We can do this because they're fictional. Secondly, in the Harry Potter series, we need to take into account power dynamics between children and adults. So what I mean by that is when we are typing the adults or like some of the professors, for instance, we have to be careful with their interactions with the kids because naturally they're going to be protective of the children. But just because they're protective of someone else doesn't make them an eight or a two or a nine, right? It just makes them a responsible adult. So that's one of the tips that Scott and I are keeping in Mm -hmm. mind with this as well. In a similar vein to tip number two, tip number three is that we need to remember that a character's job is also not necessarily an indication of their type. We can absolutely use this as evidence of a type. And there are a few that I can think of now whose types fit very well with their occupations. (laughs) But at the end of the day, each character's type needs to be shown via their motivations as best as they're portrayed in the movies. Fourth tip, when we're talking about villains, we need to take into account their type's security path. And so this is something that I know Scott and I will talk about, this idea of villainy showing up in security. So we have two paths, right? We have a stress path and we have a security path, which we've talked about before. I'll give an example for me for instance I am a type 2 I go to four in security I go to eight in stress When you go to stress or security that is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing it just it's just a thing You can go to stress and health and you can go to stress and unhealth Likewise you can go to security and health and you can go to security and unhealth So villainy there's a theory out there that that villainy really comes out when you go to your security path in unhealth if that all sounded confusing, I'll make it really simple for you in this sentence. If you think about it, a villain is very secure in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're very confident in what they're doing, but it's not a healthy thing that they're doing. So naturally, their type's going to go to their security path in that. Mm-hmm. So we'll kind of talk about a little bit about that. And then the fifth tip, and this is the final tip, is these are a couple of questions that we want to ask ourselves as we look at these characters. hmm And when Scott and I debate at the end of this, if we have characters that we disagree with, we'll talk about that at the end, Mm. which will be fun. It'll be the great debate. Um, (laughs) But some of the questions we're going to talk over as we debate this is going to be, what instinctual triad is the character acting from? So are they seeking attention, which is the heart? Are they seeking control, which is more so the gut? Or are they seeking security, which is more so the head? Another question would be, what orientation to time does the person have? Are they more future-focused? Right, like your three sevens and eights are going to be. Are they more past focused, like your fours, fives, and nines are going to be, or are they more present focused, like your ones, twos, and sixes are going to be? Finally, the last like question that we want to keep in mind is what is the language that I'm hearing? So, for instance, ones will speak about order. They'll speak about systems. They'll use the word should <laughs> um, because ones are ones are all about you know following a moral code, doing the right thing. Twos will almost always be others focused in the way they speak. They'll check in with another character, or they'll insert their advice, or they'll be easily offended when someone doesn't take their advice. It's very relational focused. And then so on and so forth with the rest of the types. And again, while language isn't the best, most concrete evidence for a character's type, because motive is, it can be quite revealing. And it's just a helpful piece of evidence. So yeah, we're going to start. And we're gonna just go around Ooh. Yeah. We're going go just around gonna... the table. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're gonna go around the Enneagram symbol. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna go from one type to the next one on the symbol and go all the way until we've finished all the types and then we'll debate the ones that we disagree yes. about. All thirty five. What type should we start with? It doesn't really matter. It feels good to start with one. Yeah. It's just the way my brain works. Let's start with one. (laughs) Cool. Ones are people who are defined by a desire to be good. They are going to chase after morality. They're going to be very focused on structure, on rules, etc. They're going to be very dutiful types. They're going to attach to authority figures, and that can be a person, or it can be like a rule book, or a system, or a set of rules. They do that because that's the right thing to do, and it provides them with structure on how to be good. So my first type one that I have is mm-hmm. Hermione Granger. Ding, 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 ding. We've got a match. Oh, hey. Whoa. We agree on the first one. Holy
1: cricket. You're Harry Potter. I'm Hermione Granger, and you are?
0: Yeah, okay. Well, let's let's talk about why. Mm-hmm. So some of my initial thoughts she is someone who's very orderly. She is someone who, is, who loves structure. She also is, tends to be very serious. The amount of times you have Hermione scolding Ron or Harry for something versus her laughing about something, <laughs> the former definitely outweighs the latter. Yes. She also can be a little naggy towards Ron and Harry. I think just uh, even our introduction to her, when we first see mm-hmm. Hermione Granger in the first movie... She is appalled at Ron's messiness. They're they're on the Hogwarts Express and they're in their mm. little cabin and she's appalled at how messy Ron is. <laughs> and then she also immediately gets up and she helps Neville find his frog. Mm-hmm. And so again, we don't really know who this character is, but already she's doing the right thing by helping someone. Twos get all the credit for being the helpers because they're often yeah. named that. But ones are just as helpful as twos. <laughs> but they do it from a place of this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Right. Not not so much, I want this person to like me like the two would. So, yeah.
1: What are some of your thoughts about Hermione? Yeah, no, I, I think <clears throat> the intro scene obviously is, is a big one that sticks out. Um, just the way that she <laughs> is no nonsense of, okay, this is how things are meant to be ordered. You can tell that the way that she's motivated in that discussion is not pleasantries and let's get to know each other. Let's build a relationship. No, it is, hey, this is how you're supposed to act, Ron. You are messy. What are you doing? Right. Harry, your glasses are messed up. Let me fix that. That's not the way things are right. supposed to be. <laughs> it's very kind-hearted, but mm-hmm. but direct and yeah. setting things right, which is yes. just very much in line with the one. Um, also, just throughout the movies, in her relationship with Ron and, and, uh, and Harry, even though she is loyal and she loves and cares for them, you can tell whenever there's conflict, it's always because she feels that somebody is doing something that is not necessarily dangerous but is not right is not the Mm. correct thing to do whether it is harry when he's sneaking off to go to hogsmeade Mm -hmm. uh in in the the fourth movie she is very much not pleased with that and she gives him the cold shoulder and is is pretty much trying to force him (laughs) down the right path by saying i'm gonna cut off my friendship from you i'm gonna cut off my homework support or whatever it is she clearly is trying to like you said nag or just nudge people in the right direction out of that desire to bring things right and good totally one of my favorite lines from her in the first movie
0: i believe it's when ron and harry are talking about going to the dungeon and they're going to put fluffy like to sleep with the harp or whatever (laughs) not to sleep not taking (laughs) them to the farm (laughs) but anyway she says
1: (laughs) now if you two don't mind, I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed, or worse, expelled.
0: It's such uh, an amazing one yes. line. Like, what's worse than being killed for a one? <laughs> being expelled for not for breaking the rules for mm-hmm. doing something bad, right? Yes. And then also, I mean, this is probably this is probably the most popular Himer Himerne. <laughs> this is probably the most popular Hermione line. And it's her being a one, critiquing and fixing and correcting. She looks at Ron and goes,
1: Stop, stop, stop. stop. You're going to take someone's eye out. Besides, you're saying it wrong. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa.
0: She's being a one, correcting right there. Mm -hmm. A couple other comments that I want to make about her through the other movies. When she is using the time turner in movie three to Mm -hmm. go to two classes at one time, She's very short-tempered. That anger starts to leak out yep. because she's stretched herself too thin doing all the things. And she gets impatient with Professor Trelawney. But then she also says to Ron and Harry, she goes, divination is a very wooly discipline. I prefer runes. Which is funny because like, of course she prefers runes. They're factual. <laughs> they're history. They're objective. <laughs> it's all facts that you can mm-hmm. can talk about. It's nothing that is is kind of loose or unstructured mm. like divination is. Yep. Also, when she gets angry, when she kind of her anger boils over and she directs it at Draco, she calls him a foul, loathsome, evil little cockroach. That's just an interesting (laughs) use of words Mm -hmm. that she uses when she's angry,
1: right? They're like all the things she doesn't want to be. Yes. Foul, loathsome, evil, right? mm, Go ahead. I was going to say, and and when does this come out? When does this anger boil over? It is when she sees what she's deeming as total injustice in the execution of Buckbeak. Yep. Buckbeak. So then in the fourth movie,
0: one thing that she says that stuck out to me was she says to Harry, you know, Sirius will want to hear about this, what you saw at the world cup and the dream. And it's interesting. She doesn't use the word should. And we talk a lot about ones, how ones use this, this word should. Hmm. She doesn't use the, the word explicitly, but that is all the subtext of what she's saying. Right. She's like, you know, Sirius will want to hear about this. Mm -hmm. Like she's telling someone else that they should do something. (laughs) Yep. Again, that oneness (laughs) is coming through. She's also appalled. She's the only one in the room who is appalled when Fred and George Weasley are trying to put their names into the goblet. (laughs) Right. Everyone 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 else is is like cheering. cheering. And she just like kind of sulks and sits there and they're breaking the rules. And there's an interesting thing that I've noticed about ones at times where they if somebody's gonna break their ethics, they often will sacrifice the way they're viewed by people. For doing the right thing. which Because they want to have integrity, right? They want to have integrity in all that they do. So when they're alone by themselves, they want to be the same person as they are when they're in a group of people. Which is a beautiful thing about ones. So, and then in the fifth movie, when Harry's expelled, she says it's completely unfair. Again, Mm -hmm. she's talking about justice. Eights, nines, and ones are focused on justice. She's outraged over the injustice. And then later when she's talking about building Dumbledore's army she says we need a teacher, a proper teacher (laughs) (laughs) which again, one language Mm -hmm. soon after that they're walking on the bridge I think it's Neville, Luna, Harry, Ron, Hermione it's like a a group of those kids they're walking on the bridge back back from Hogsmeade when they all kind of met together and Hermione giggles uh, something that we don't see a lot from her, again, as I said before and she goes sort of exciting isn't it Breaking the rules. And then Ron's like, who are you and what have you done with Hermione?
1: (laughs) I just like started laughing at that line. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, the rule breaking she does is for justice. right? In order to set things right (laughs) against the evil, she's
0: willing (laughs) to break the rules. (laughs) Totally. And again, that's a wonderful thing about ones. Mm -hmm. It is not that they are just stuck following the rules. They want justice. That really is what is at the heart of it. They Mm -hmm. want to right what is wrong. So they have to break some rules to right the wrong they'll do that. Yep. They can often struggle with doing that, but, you know, like mm. some guilt or shame, but at the yeah. end of the day, they, they do want to make what yeah. is wrong right.
1: Which is funny because, I mean, you do see that with Hermione throughout the movies. She she is always the, you might consider the wet blanket of the group at yeah. times, but is more, she always is, is the one that is less inclined to jump on board with what Harry and Ron are doing. <laughs> right. But, but she does it because she knows, okay, this this mm. is right. This is enacting justice there's something that is being done that is wrong right. a lot of the later movies is when people are not believing harry regarding voldemort right. she b- does believe and she knows that it's true and therefore that motivates her to step forward in these areas that maybe are yeah. are breaking the rules but to her she knows right. it is superseded by justice right. and on the heels of that in movie six she gets really angry at harry for breaking
0: the rules because he's not doing the right thing mm-hmm. so she thinks that harry's cheating when he gives well, yes, so she thinks that Harry's cheating, first of all, by looking at the Half-Blood Prince's yep. book, right, and using it. She also gets really frustrated. You can see it on her face and in her body language. Mm-hmm. She gets frustrated when her drought is not perfect, but Slughorn <laughs> says Harry's is perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just, you can tell that just tears her apart. But then also, she gets mad when Harry tricks Ron by pretending to put the Felix Felicis mm. into his yeah. drink. Um, and Ron drinks it thinking it's the Felix Felicis and, uh, Hermione is just outraged because they're breaking the rules and it's not yep. for a moral reason. Yeah. It's just in her win a mind, game. they're, they're actually doing what is wrong. Yep. And so she's mad about that. hmm And the last thing I have on Hermione is Harry Potter in the seventh movie. So Deathly Hallows part yes. one, when, uh, they're in the tent. This is right before Ron kind of freaks out at them and then leaves. Yes. Harry Potter says, you're brilliant, Hermione. And Hermione, again, she just got a compliment, but she still corrects him. Mm-hmm. And she goes, actually, I'm highly logical, which helps me look past extraneous detail <laughs> and perceive clearly that which others overlook. <laughs> which is just hilarious because, again, that's she's correcting Harry even yes. though he gave her a compliment.
1: Even in the compliment.
0: Yes, right. <laughs> um, and then it's, it's also just interesting, too, how once Ron leaves them, Hermione's obviously heartbroken because she mm. loves Ron, right? And we we know that for sure now at this point in in the series. And so, ones when they stress, they go to four. It's interesting because we actually see this come out in Hermione's mannerisms. Mm. So the the scene starts. It's like late at night in the tent when it's just Harry and Hermione. It's right before they start dancing. Yep. And Hermione's sitting there by candlelight, listening to the radio, sulking. And she's just sad. She's like, she's totally in her feels. She's mm-hmm. totally like a whole mood in that moment. And like Ford's hate being cheered up, oftentimes, nothing that Harry does really cheers Hermione up. Like, he does pull her into dance, and she does smile. But then, once the song ends, she goes right back into the sulking again. Yep. And that's I thought that was just an interesting, like, dynamic part to her character of like oh this this seems to be some of her fourth part coming out you know mm-hmm. yep.
1: you know what i mean oh yeah yeah got anything else on hermione so one i think in, in just coming back a little bit to something that i just find very very obvious for a type 1 is uh when we talked about the the half blood prince book and how she's she's angry and and not and and you know not happy with harry for that it's interesting that there's there's two facets facets to it one it is cheating and and she's upset about that and two she's also upset that who is this half-blood prince it might be voldemort we don't know this is dangerous what are you doing however obviously for her what comes through in her mannerisms and also in what she keeps coming back to is the cheating in the studies that is the bigger deal (laughs) not the fact that this could be extremely dangerous voldemort's book you know deadly that's like okay that's bad but also you're cheating in studies and that's that's too far right which i just find Beauty, you know it's just great for for who she is yeah. that that's really <laughs> what what irks her most you could get killed or worse yep expelled. exactly <laughs> that matches right
0: there totally that's a that's perfect yep so good okay well that is our first type one wow scott who is the next type one that you had listed
1: okay next type one minerva mcgonagall ding 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 Woo! <laughs> that was it i mean as minerva I. is as one as it gets five points will be awarded to each of you
0: for sheer dumb luck (laughs) i'll be honest though there were a couple times where i thought mcgonagall might have been a six there were a couple moments Mm, where some fear came through that i was like "Ooh, you're very dutiful yep like a six and a a one are but there's some fear here yep but i did end up landing on one and we can totally talk about that so why did you land
1: on one for her Yeah, so I think, in a sense, obviously, it's a different dynamic being a teacher versus the student in Hermione. But I think a lot of the similar traits come through with her, where she is fiercely, fiercely stuck on what is right, what is just. She is no nonsense when it comes to disobeying the rules that those in authority have put over the students. So whenever something that she has told, or if there's something that Dumbledore has told them to do or not do... She does not even hear them out. She does not have a discussion. This is not a gray area that she's willing to have a conversation over. No, this is something where you were told not to leave your room. Why are you out of your room? This is not okay. This is against the rules. And there is no argument there because she sees it as black and white, like you said. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. And then one of the main things also that always has stuck out to me in the movies is movie five, where... (laughs) Now she's in a situation where she's not underneath the authority figure that she trusts and mm-hmm. wholeheartedly follows and knows is just in Dumbledore. She's now under umbrage as she takes over as headmaster. Mm-hmm. And you can see where she's no longer just, okay, follow the rules. I'm, I'm the teacher. This is what I have to do. I'm just going to go along with whatever the headmaster says. No, you can see the injustice that is being done to the students is something that is is too far and she says and she puts her foot down and says no i am going to do what's best for my students i'm going to do what is just as a teacher what my role is supposed to be yeah and that's something that she always comes back to is that okay umbrage may be telling me to do one thing but i know my role as a teacher means that i'm supposed to do x y and z for my students and that is what i'm going to do and there's nothing you can do to tell me otherwise and yes. i think that's just a beautiful way that she sticks up for those who are under the foot of an unjust ruler totally
0: so the very last movie Mm -hmm. when she calls like those stone golems down from love that oh it's i get the i'm such a nerd i get the chills in that scene every (laughs) single time pierre totem locomotive words have threatened. Man the boundaries. Protect us. Do your duty
1: to our school. I've always wanted to use that spell.
0: I love it. But, first of all, she yells to them, do your duty Mm. to protect the school. Duty, that is a very type one word. Sixes also are very dutiful. Again, as I said, twos are even dutiful. But ones are like the ideal version of duty, right? Um, So interesting that she says that. But also she then kind of like giggles a little. And she's like, I've always wanted to use that spell. (laughs) She's like (laughs) delighted about something that is is a rule that she's followed for so long. She's never used it, right? Even though she's wanted to. Mm -hmm. She's never used it because they haven't had to. But I mean, she's been teaching there for what, decades, right? Mm -hmm. But then she's delighted because she finally gets to do this thing. (laughs) And it's just a funny thing to be so delighted in, you know? Mm -hmm. And the only other thing that I had for her... Um, fully agree with everything mm-hmm. you said really it was, is what I was going to say the other thing I had for her that is just I found entertaining about her oneness is mm-hmm. in the fourth movie in the Goblet of Fire when they have the triwizard ball and yep. she's talking about it I mean this is the most excited we see yeah. McGonagall in the entire eight movies <laughs> <laughs> she's just delighted about this tradition this thing that they do every triwizard tournament they do the triwizard ball and She's so delighted over it. She calls all the students together to teach them how to dance so they can look right and they do the right thing, Mm -hmm. right? They dance in the right way at this ball. She just loves tradition and she intends to make sure that the tradition stands and that is done the right way, you know? Love it. (laughs) And I think her seven comes out in that too Mm. because ones go to seven in security. Yeah. And so I think her her seven-ness definitely comes out there of like, she's just, because she's following the rules, because the oneness is satisfied. I think some of that seven comes out of like she kind of lets go and and just has fun, you know, and she's delighted.
1: I'm really happy to hear you bring that up because I was just going to mention one of the things that that did lead me towards six as well. And something that comes through very clearly is her love of Quidditch and specifically the Gryffindor team. Mm -hmm. And then and it seems at times that she's a little loose with the rules and she's Mm -hmm. like, okay, Harry Potter, he was flying like he's not supposed to but instead of scolding him she decides all right i'm gonna bring him on to be the new seeker for the team and then later sure. on in the next book or movie uh, she gets him a new broom and it's yeah. like wait a sec okay she's doing all these things it's like what how does this line up with mm-hmm. the one but i think the idea there is she's not clearly she's not breaking any rules right. these are all within the bounds mm-hmm. and this is her sevenness coming through as she's in security this thing that she loves and cherishes yeah. and enjoys celebrating amongst her students and her Fellow coworkers, it's like this is something that she enjoys, and she lets herself kind of be free and have fun in that, and that comes through in saying, "Okay, I'm gonna help my team win. I'm gonna do That's whatever well I can."
0: Yeah, oh, it's so good. She's she's one of my favorite characters. Yes, I love Professor McGonagall. Okay, the next type one. Did you have anything else to say about her? I did not. You feel pretty good. Okay, the next type one that I have is Dolores Umbridge.
1: Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> yes. Three for three. Oh man, go team! Progress, for the
0: sake of progress, must be discouraged. Let us preserve what must be preserved, perfect what can be perfected, and prune practices
1: that ought to be prohibited.
0: (laughs) Dolores is Mm -hmm. a beautiful foil
1: to McGonagall. Oh, yeah.
0: I think they are just a perfect... It's why they work so well together. And their argument way. on the steps is so good. Like, <laughs> both of them saying, like... Like, they're both vying for authority with each other. Yep. But they're also, like, correcting each other. It's not... Mm-hmm. That, it's not so much that McGonagall... Like, McGonagall doesn't want authority. Again, yes. ones are not power-hungry. They, they're not like, I need to lead. You know, she's happy for years to submit oh, yeah. to... The, she prefers. She prefers to, exactly. Yeah. To the Hogwarts rules and the Hogwarts headmaster, mm-hmm. right? Dumbledore. Dolores does want more power, <laughs> but again, she's doing it for Cornelius Fudge. Mm-hmm. So she actually is also submitting to another authority figure, and she does yes. it for the ministry, for the sake of the ministry.
1: That's always her motivation. Always. It always comes back, yes, to, it this comes back to this ministry that
0: she's working for. Right, And the, which is which is an ordered, structured mm-hmm. thing that keeps people safe and does the right thing. It yep. enacts justice, and it, it is a good thing. It's like the highest good, yep. right, in the wizarding world. Mm-hmm. And so, and her taking authority at Hogwarts is doing her duty. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Absolutely. We've talked about the one's defense mechanism of reaction Mm -hmm. formation, right? They can be so thin lipped and put together or display the opposite emotion of what they're actually feeling, right? How many times does someone do something Mm -hmm. that angers Umbridge and her response is to smile or go, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's her constant response is like, I'm fine. Everything's good. Oh, this is pleasant right? Like she tries yes. to put on this like, I am kind, I am pleasant, mm-hmm. I am sweet. In her like intro to the whole school when Dumbledore introduces her and she goes, because <laughs> she like wants to speak. And he like steps aside so she can. Mm-hmm. She says, I'm sure that we will all become great friends. Right? She's like, she's presenting this like sweet like cotton candy veneer. Mm-hmm. Just this goodness I-, I saw. At first I thought maybe that was Tunis. Like mm. she's trying to like, you know, make people like her but she doesn't care about being liked. (laughs) that's not what it is in the end at all so as we said before she's left-hand woman to fudge as well Mm -hmm. and again so ones twos and sixes especially are going to attach themselves to authority figures Mm -hmm. in some way or another it's really hard for ones twos or sixes to kind of like pave their own way yep i think that fits really well with her oneness here is that Mm -hmm. she doesn't need to be the end all be all authority like she's happy to submit to cornelius now you can say in the end she does kind of say what Cornelius doesn't know won't hurt him, right? And she puts his his picture down as she's about to perform the Cruciatus Curse mm-hmm. on Harry, but I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, when she's punishing Harry, her the words that she says are the some of the like the lowest point of a type one of what a one could say to mm-hmm. someone else, and she goes, because you know deep down. You deserve to be punished, don't you, Mr. Potter? And it's like this. You did something bad, and so now you need to be disciplined, right? Yep. Consequences come when you do the wrong thing. Hmm. She controls other people, again, because she's evil and she's bad. Yep. <laughs> she's she's controlling other people. Also, very one-ish to control, right? Mm-hmm. Eights, and nines, and ones are part of that gut triad. They're concerned with control and autonomy. She controls people through rules. Mm-hmm. How many rules does she have Filch <laughs> put up? All of these decrees that she speaks that people must follow? Yeah, but what's also interesting, so this is where we can kind of talk some about like the villainy showing mm-hmm. up in your security spot. Yep. So as I said before, ones go to seven in security. Sevens don't like to be limited, right? Mm-hmm. Sevens don't love rules <laughs> as they don't love being confined <laughs> by rules. Yep. like it's it, it, they feel more comfortable, you know, because they think they have to take care of themselves. Yep. deep down, it comes out as this like, well, you know, I can break rules here and there. It's fine. Everything's fine. You know, They'll justify it till the cows come home. And she goes to that seven in security because she's secure in in the evil thing she's doing. She's so set on what she's doing and her seven comes out in that all these rules that she places on others, she doesn't necessarily have to follow herself. Mm. Right? So, for instance, when she tortures Harry Potter with saying I shall not tell lies, he gets that message written into his hand. But then also, you see her processing this come mm. out because she says it verbally when they're in her office later after Draco, Crabbe, and Goyle have caught Harry and Hermione in them. Yes. She verbally processes using the Cruciatus Curse. Very well. You give me no choice, Potter. As this is an issue of Ministry security, you leave me with no alternative. The Cruciatus Curse, or to loosen your tongue—that's illegal. What Cornelius doesn't know won't hurt him. So she's about to do an illegal curse that mm-hmm. the Ministry above her even says this is illegal. You can't do this. You'll go to Azkaban if you do this even once. <laughs> and she says, "What Cornelius doesn't know won't hurt him," and turns yep. down his picture. And she's about to perform this illegal curse on Potter to yep. get what she needs to know because yep. she's doing her duty. So she, again, she's so evil and so obsessed with doing her duty mm-hmm. and having control that she's about to break rules for it. Which yep. again is kind of like Hermione, how Hermione yes. would break rules but for the
1: good thing. Mm-hmm. This woman is delusional, she's convinced she's doing the right thing, but she's evil. So one thing I was noticing when I was going through the characters and specifically the villains, mm-hmm. and this kind of aligns with with where they go in security, but is it feels like, like we always talk about how the, the core longing is the secret sauce that brings it all together. Yeah. Well, it's also the like <laughs> the poison for yeah. those who are so unhealthy, like villains obviously are. So I think it's interesting in that you see someone, it, she does not struggle with the the longing or the desire to tell herself that you are good. Mm. She believes 110% yeah. that she is good. And that's why she's willing and able to break the rules because she says, no, I'm good. I know what is right. I'm mm. going to, you know, for justice sake, I'm going to perform this curse, Whoa. even though it's illegal. But that's, the whole point is that her yeah. whole frame of reference is off because she isn't good, but she's so convinced that she is. I've right. not thought about it in that way
0: before. That's fascinating. That's a really good point. Thank you. I have one more thing about her. Yeah. And go you're, for it. you're probably thinking about this yep. scene too. When she, the last scene we see her in in the fifth book until she
1: comes Ooh. back, you know. In, in I remember
0: as a kid the last Oh,
1: yeah, she's dead. Uh, me too. <laughs> she yes. wasn't.
0: I was like, crap. I literally said to my <laughs> sister, Auburn, I was like, Dolores Umbridge die in the end of the fifth movie? I said this to her a couple weeks ago because I couldn't remember. Yeah. I was like, I remember she gets taken away by the centaurs, but does she? Di- I think she comes back later. And yep. Auburn was like, I don't think she does. And I was like, I'm pretty yep. sure she comes back in later movies. But we don't have an explanation of that in the yep. movies as to what happened to her no. the centaurs. But I think we do in the books. Yes. But anyway, we're not talking about the books. So she says to the centaurs, she says, I warn you under the law. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not just I warn you. Mm-hmm. It's under the law. And then after she performs that spell on the one centaur and, like, wraps the rope around his neck and he's, like, mm. he's like being choked out yeah. on the ground, she screams... No, enough! I will have order! Ha, that's one of the last things wow. that, that this woman says before yep. Hagrid's brother comes and <laughs> the giant picks her up and then she's taken away by the centaurs a little bit later. But that's just a perfect, like, last villain line oh, yeah. for a type one is...
1: Now enough. I will have order. <laughs> you know. So, so perfect. And she is the one causing the distress due yes. to the choking of the scent. I mean, it's Right. It's but perfect. she doesn't believe that. Oh, yeah.
0: Right? No. She doesn't believe she's the one doing the wrong thing. <laughs> no way. Everyone yep. else is doing the wrong thing because mm-hmm. they're not adhering. Yes. To her order. That's <laughs> no so good. Cool. Any, any other last thoughts on Dolores Umbridge? No, that was that was good. Great. That was all I had. <laughs> cool. <laughs> do you have any more ones? I do not.
1: I don't. <laughs> Wow.
0: No more. Look at that. Not even any of the. So we don't have to. We don't have to debate any ones. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) We agreed on that one. Cool. Twos. We're going to the helper, the befriender, the giver. Yes. These people very much seek for attention. Mm -hmm. They're going to do that by giving of themselves or their resources. They're going to be very sentimental people. Very heart focused people. Very relationally focused. Yes. So my first two that I had. Was... So I only have two. Do you have more than two? Um, I have two. Oh, we'll see if they're the same.
1: I'm. I feel like this one, though. I'm a little.
0: The first two I have we'll is see. Rubius Hagrid. Ding, ding,
1: ding. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I thought for a long time on a couple others that I'll probably touch on as we go through it, but I'm. I'm happy we ended on the same. Cool. I, Two just makes sense, but there was yeah. a, I was really tempted on a couple other numbers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the first time that we see Hagrid, it's when the Dursley family has taken Harry Potter to this like island. They're in this shack, and it's the very first movie. It's before Harry even knows he's a wizard, right? Hagrid's the one to tell him. But the first thing he does is he remembers it's Harry's birthday, mm-hmm. says happy birthday. And not only that, he brought Harry a gift. <laughs> and not only that, but he made it myself. Yes. <laughs> is the line that he says, right? He's just, he's thoughtful. There's your two-ness, thoughtful Mm -hmm. in the gift that he gives. But the big thing about Hagrid that we see throughout the movies is, first of all, I think he's the most emotional character as far as the tears and such. Like he cries the most, (laughs) but he is deeply emotionally attached to all of his creatures that he cares for. Also, this is one of the tips that we talked about. Your job doesn't necessarily determine your type, but it can highlight yeah. your type. <laughs> his job is groundskeeper and caretaker of yes, the animals. Like, exactly. Yep. He's a caretaker. That's his mm-hmm. job. <laughs> That's very two-y. Yes. Um, and also his just how attached he is to Buckbeak, his mm-hmm. hippogriff, and, and then also the Thestrals later on. All the animals seem to love him because he's so kind to them, and he yeah. loves them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's also that way with the kids too.
1: Yes what sticks out the most to me is that, and again, and you see this with, with different characters the different numbers as how they relate with Dumbledore, but his relationship with Dumbledore, I think really points to two as well. And that he is, he's loyal, which again, everyone, you hear sure. the word loyal and you think six, but his sure. loyalty is more rooted in the fact that Dumbledore trusts him mm-hmm. and loves him. And yeah. he just cannot help, but adore <laughs> Dumbledore and yeah. do anything for Dumbledore and want to be the helper and want to yeah. be the one If you need me to take baby Harry on the motorcycle over there, I'm on it. I'm your man. I'm taking him to the the Dursleys. Whatever the job is, Hagrid is all about it because he just, he's in love with Dumbledore because the fact that Dumbledore sees him for who he is and acknowledges him and loves him and cares for him genuinely. And I think that is a great picture of that. And this is the one thing I was going to touch on. I was actually tempted a little bit for four, um, Hmm. which specifically in some of his relationships because I feel like, a lot of times you see a four and you think, okay, it's somebody that wants to be unique and wants to be like, I want to be special. See me as special. For Hagrid, it almost felt almost like an inverse where it's like he is unique and special. That's just who he is and he knows that about himself and he wants to be accepted in that uniqueness. So it's right. it's almost this twist of like,
0: sure.
1: it's not a desire to be viewed as special, but it's a desire to be accepted as special, which I do think yeah. in, in a sense does fold into the four yeah. and, and also you hear the word envy as, okay, their weakness. And you think, okay, well, he's not envious. Sure. But when you look at the definition and like the way that it's talked out for, 4 they're feeling that they're tragically flawed or that they're right. lacking something. And I do see that in Hagrid, yeah. there's a sense of like less than compared to right. others. But again, I, I always go back to what is it to and what is their feeling? He, even through this, knowing he's different and knowing he, he might be special or less than in these different areas, yeah. his response is not one of of jealousy. His response is one of, I'm going to do anything I can, even if I'm limited, to care and love for the people that care and love me. It is a a beautiful picture of what a two is when they're healthy. And when people come after the people
0: he loves, that man goes to eight and he gets angry. Oh, yeah. And he lets that anger be shown. Love it. (laughs) Right. Which is very true. Mm -hmm. People are often surprised when they hear about twos going to eight because twos tend to be very kind and Mm -hmm. friendly and laugh and and enjoyable to be around, right? Yep. We tend to like the twos in our lives. That's their goal is to be liked. (laughs) So when they get provoked Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they go to that stress and that anger comes out, it's kind of like, whoa, hello. All the boundaries that weren't there come up. One other thing I'll say that I have on Hagrid is in in Deathly Hallows Part 1, when they're all, in the very beginning, when they're in the Dursley home and the Dursleys are gone and, Mm -hmm. and they're all half of them are taking the polyjuice potion to look like harry right because they're about to make this this escape to the weasley's home he says very sentimentally
1: i brought you here 16 years ago when you were no bigger than a bow truckle. seems only right that i should be the one to take you away now yes it's all very touching let's go
0: again he just has this yep this sweet sentimental relationally oh, yeah. focused aspect of him and to, <laughs> to kind of build Last thing that I'll say about him, to build off of what you were just saying, he is, again, a dutiful type. He's in the one, two, six triad of dutiful. Yeah. When we talk about the Enneagram, we talk a lot about how there are a bunch of different triads. Yeah. The the one we know the most is the instinctual triads, the gut center, heart center, the head center. But there's actually a bunch of other ones as well. Mm -hmm. There's ones for how we interact with conflict. There's ones for how we get our needs met in life, how we interact with our relationships. Yeah. So they're in this dutiful or compliant Stance where they want an authority figure like we just talked about with the ones twos also want that and you were just explaining like Hagrid has this authority figure in Dumbledore that he he comes under and he can can help and support I don't think it's a mistake that the personality archetype of the helper is named the two Mm. because they're so happy being number two (laughs) like they want to be the second in command Hagrid loves
1: his opportunities Mm -hmm. for that yes people in you know fiction or nonfiction we're not binary we are not just healthy or unhealthy it is a mix between the two obviously hagrid is awesome and there's so many things that he is a healthy two in but i think one of the areas that he lacks is that he if somebody says something nice to him he is full bore trusting i will give you all my secrets because you said a nice thing to me so this is great we are best friends it's It's like well he's easily trusting (laughs)
0: yes twos are twos to their own detriment end up being very easily trusting And he is that to a T. <laughs> you know that about my life. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. The other two that I had was Dobby,
1: the house elf. I did. Oh, one second. You're processing. Fine. I did have actually three twos. I lied earlier. Oh, Because <laughs> I do have Dobby as a two.
0: <laughs> Harry Potter. Such an honor it is. I lied earlier, too. I actually have three. <laughs> I, I'll, ex, I'll explain okay. to you later off the air. Okay. He, well, he was someone that I threw in. Who was? The other two. Oh, okay. That I, like, threw in. That I'm I, surprised. it All right. <laughs> oh,
1: I know okay. you're going to. Anyway. Okay. Well, okay. I'm, I'm curious about the next one. So we agree that Dobby is a two. Yes. That's for great. sure.
0: So initially, when we first meet Dobby, I thought maybe you're a one because... Mm. Whenever he does something bad, when he's in Harry's room at the Dursleys, yep. he starts punishing himself. Yeah. Like, I did something bad, time to punish. But that can actually be very much a two thing mm-hmm. as well. Although it may not be physical, although it is physical for some twos, it's often a very much, like, self-flagellation, like, self-deprecation. Mm-hmm. Twos are masters of self-depreciation. <laughs> so, it makes sense when that he harms himself. Yep. But then when he drops the cake on the Dursley's company's head, (laughs) he says to Harry Potter, it's for Harry Potter's own good. Yeah. He's doing something for someone else. Yep. And the act is not a good thing to do, (laughs) but he does it. He says he's doing it in the name of someone else. Mm. What were your thoughts on Dobby as a two?
1: Yeah, no, I I think the intro is definitely the most interesting because his motivation towards Harry is also confusing in the beginning because there is no relationship there he kind of names himself or makes himself harry's caretaker before there's any relationship or anything there there is like a level of what is the motivation it seems like justice it seems like okay he is being motivated by harry is unjust what is going to happen to harry so i must protect him so there's there's definitely something there which is why again we're not getting really into wings or anything but i i definitely see he draws on his one wing in certain regards there but throughout the whole rest of the movies, obviously, you can tell his his loyalty or his love, I should say, not just blind loyalty mm-hmm. but love for Harry because of what Harry did at the end of the of the second movie, is just he can't yeah. help but constantly go to Harry's aid to care for him and always be there to help, always be there to give information or feedback or or support on a specific totally. mission or whatever it is. Dobby is just always there. And I think it felt like his core longing of being loved and cared for was satisfied as soon as Harry let him go. And he just, he was good from then on out. He's just like, I'm your man. I I will be your loyal number two because you have satisfied that longing in me. Yes, That's so well said. And I think there's something also to
0: be said for his role. Mm -hmm. We can't ignore the fact that he's a slave. Yes. Right. Yep. So there is this idea of like when you're a slave, you're not allowed to have desires. Right. So. I don't think that Dobby is necessarily seeking attention like twos, threes, and fours do, right? Because mm. I do think he's in the heart center. You know, we both agree that he's a two. Yeah. I don't think he's actually seeking after attention though mm. because he's not allowed to. Yep. He's a slave. So he's enslaved to performing the role that he's put in. Yeah. But then once he's freed, is exactly what you said. <laughs> he has agency, right? Yeah. Even at the very end, the best, ugh, this is the scene that always makes me cry oh, as yeah. well. I think it makes everyone cry, honestly. That's the worst. If you have a heart, you Just cry. Just let him live. Yeah. When Dobby dies, oh. when Bellatrix Dagger gets him mm. as they apparate, yep. he yells at her and says,
1: Dobby has no master. Dobby is a free elf. And
0: Dobby has come to save Harry Potter and his friends. That is a beautiful type two, oh. like, in Healthline. Just hearing that line, it's like, oh. Right? Yeah, it gives me the chills as a two because I'm like... Mm, that's the dream? <laughs> yes, being free. Like this mm. idea of freedom from from other people's wills, having agency, acting on your own. It's a beautiful thing for a two. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a lovely thing. And then as he's dying in Harry's arms, the last thing he says is...
1: Such
0: a beautiful place.
1: To be with me. Dobby is happy to be with his friend,
0: Harry Potter. I mean, those are perfect Ooh. type two yeah. end of life lines. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to be with my friend. Yep. Right? Hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> Gotta get the that's tissues. <laughs> yeah. So that's Dobby. Dobby is a Love two. it. Dobby is also a free elf. Yes. <laughs> and then on his gravestone, even, it's written, Dobby a free elf it's so good love that so the other two that i had was one cedric diggory really (laughs) a two so i guess we're disagreeing here that is a
1: disagree okay
0: all right well we'll find out uh yeah we will what you thought cedric was when we get to that okay okay (laughs) did uh did you have any other twos i had one other two okay mrs weasley and you didn't? Oh. Or did you not? I type had her? Molly Weasley as a two for the longest time and then I changed it. Oh,
1: I think she's something else. I had to figure you would because she's one of those that is so obviously a two, you just have to be different. <laughs> <laughs> and then I
0: forgot. I actually have one more two. Oh. So Horace Slughorn, Professor Slughorn. Oh, a two. I think that he's a two because he is easily emotionally manipulated by the students. Mm-hmm. His favorite students, by the way, he takes favorites he chooses favorites, which two struggle with favoritism, because they want to be liked by the people that they like. (laughs) Yep. He's easily manipulated by Tom Riddle, and then later Harry's flattery of him. Tom Riddle's like, no other professors like you. No other professor gets it. And then Mm. he ends up telling Tom the information (laughs) that literally, like how we talk about how Hagrid, when someone likes him, he starts letting slip information because he trusts him. Oh yeah. Literally, Slughorn is the reason that Tom becomes Voldemort in some yeah. ways because he tells him about the horcruxes. <laughs> yeah. All because Tom flatters him. Yep. <laughs> and I think he feels liked by Tom. Yeah. Exactly. And when he is so distressed and broken down in Hagrid's home when he give finally gives Harry his memory so mm-hmm. that so that Harry can see, you know, that he tells Tom about the yeah. horcruxes. The sentence he says to Harry is,
1: Please don't think badly of me when you see it
0: no idea what he was like even then hmm don't think badly of me yep two (laughs) last thing i'll say about slughorn is that he gets very aggressive towards tom and harry when he feels that his generosity has taken advantage of yeah he goes he flips on a switch and gets angry towards them yep so there's tunis all over that character Mm -hmm. i think yeah that's a good one yeah so okay threes Woo.
1: One. On two threes.
0: As we talk about threes, they're going to be in this attention-seeking triad with twos and fours. They want attention, but they want glory specifically. They want fame. They want honor. They want to be successful. They want to feel successful, and they want others to see them as successful in whatever shade that appears for them. So they're going to be of the aggressive stance. They're going to assert themselves, go against people to get what they want. They tend to be very competitive. The flip side of that is they can be very hope giving to people they're great planners for the future
1: and whatnot so i'll start by just saying great. one that is a disagreement i have cedric diggory as a three. Oh, interesting yep. i had him wing two so okay. I, I, I see the two-ness in him that he pulls from but <laughs> yeah. again i just yeah i see three That's so we three. will okay discuss. we'll argue it later <laughs> we'll debate it later can't wait i'm
0: not going to be surprised if we have multiple that we disagree with that are wings yeah. of each other or paths of each other because you're yep. going to see a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. That's so good. So a three that I have is Draco Malfoy. Yes. This
1: is Crab, and Goyle. And on Malfoy. Draco Malfoy.
0: So when we first see Draco Malfoy, he is one of the first times we see him, I should say. He's in potions class with yep. Professor Snape. And Snape says, I can tell you how to bottle fame, <laughs> brew glory. And even put a stopper in death. That was my Snape voice. Mm. Um, it was really bad. It's okay. Yeah. And Draco's <laughs> face lights up. Draco smiles and his eyes get big. Yeah. After hearing about how he can bottle fame and brew glory. Yep. <laughs> and even stop death. Like, Ooh, that's, tell me more. that's so three, right? <laughs> yes. He wants glory and fame and, and power in that sense. It's not an eight yep. power. It's not oh. I want to be seen mm-hmm. as
1: powerful. I want to be yeah. seen as having fame yep. and glory. Well, and a lot of... A lot of the eight power seeking is to protect your own and your posse mm-hmm. and your group yep. and some might see that in him and i and i can see that argument in some regards but i don't with draco i see it way more into the this is about me my posse yes. that i hang out with is to make my glory known not <laughs> yes. to protect them and to be the ringleader look good the ringleader is not for protection the ringleader is for his fame <laughs>
0: right exactly and yeah and it's not again he's in this aggressive three sevens eights or in this aggressive yep. assertive stance right He's happy to be the leader. He'll take the lead many times. It's not until the end of the movies, that when we, you know, Lord Voldemort, that he's yeah. not taking the lead. But even then, he's trying to because he's the one who has yeah. the secret mission from
1: Voldemort and, to kill Dumbledore. And honestly, his plan is a good one. Like, he comes up with that plan. Yeah. He puts it together. It yeah. It works. And obviously, Dumbledore is, is kind of letting things happen or right. that's what's implied. But yeah. a- again, I think that shows he desires still the role of hey look at what i did look really at what i accomplished glory yeah yeah
0: another thing that i see from him a lot because he's a really unhealthy three because yeah. he's an evil character i mean he's the evil character that i i think i feel bad for throughout oh the movies. yeah you know, i
1: definitely think he's supposed to be even in his interactions with st- harry there's so many moments that you can tell like they just go wrong where it makes yes draco more evil <laughs> right and puts a more gap between right. their relationship or, yeah. or, or whatnot
0: yeah so one of the things that he says is in the third movie when they're in the care of magical creatures mm-hmm. class and he says wait until my father hears this oaf is teaching <laughs> so something that we see throughout the movies is that mm-hmm. he and his father actually they both demean others to make them yep. look better than they are um I think they do it in slightly different ways. So I don't think that Lucius Uh-oh. is a three,
1: but
0: <laughs> but um, they do both demean other people to look good. Also, in that movie, he tells Crab and Goyle to help him, quote, put Ron in his place so that he can learn to respect his superiors. Mm. That is, that's threeness all over. There it is. Yep. I am better than Ron. You guys are going to help me put him in his place so he sees that I'm better than him. Yep. And the final thing I'll say about him is in the sixth movie, when we've got Moody Draco, yep. one of the things he says to Snape is, when Snape pulls him out into the hallway, and when he crashes the party, when he's yeah. not trying to crash the party, he's lurking outside because he'd gone to the room of requirement to yeah. try to get that, whatever that thing is that they like teleport hmm. people from. I can't remember what it's called. Um, the uh, Vanishing Cabinet. Vanishing Cabinet, yes. Thank you. When he's working with that, testing that out in mm-hmm. the room, room of requirement he comes out and then he's caught in the hallway and brought into slughorn's party his yeah. private party and filcher's like look what i found and then snape is <laughs> like i'll take him and snape takes him outside he made the unbreakable vow with him and and so he says maybe i did hex that bell girl maybe i didn't look to you i want to protect
1: i made the unbreakable vow i don't need protection i was chosen for this out of all others, me.
0: <laughs> and then Snape calls him out and says,
1: I won't fail him. You're afraid,
0: writer. You attempt to conceal it, but it's obvious. Let me assist And I love that line because guess where threes go in security? Six. <laughs> and I think his villainy in security here is starting to come out. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he does struggle with confidence, I think, throughout this movie for sure, but he is confident in the sense that he he knows this is what he, quote-unquote, needs to do, right? Yeah. And so, I think he goes to six. I think some of his anxiety and his paranoia starts to come out. Yeah. Because it's like, I, I need to protect my image and look at these factors that could all go wrong. Mm. And if I don't perform well, if I don't achieve this thing, if I don't get the vanishing cabinet working, if I don't kill yeah. Dumbledore, then you know, it risks his fame and glory. So yeah. he becomes anxious and paranoid. Yep. And this is kind of his sixness, I think, that comes out. Hmm. Yeah. And, and Snape calls it out. He says, you're afraid, Draco. And when he says that, he snaps at Snape and says,
1: No! I was chosen. This is my moment. Uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, there's just <laughs> wow. threeness all over that, yep. right? It's oh, like yeah.
1: perfect in the way that he speaks. The fear it. is seeping out. But yeah. It, you know, his, his threeness is, is what is defining his actions. Totally is. Mm. Yep. Yeah. No, so I love ready. that. You know, kind of that core longing that he is falling into falsely believing the idea that, that he is loved for simply who he is. Yeah. I think again, through the movies, what I see is yeah. that he views his picture of himself of him simply who he is, is yeah. rich, powerful, big family, pure blood. That is what he sees as his identity. So instead of instead of breaking that down like a, a healthy three would do and say, Okay, no, I, I can be who I actually am and let people love me and then grow from that and not live this deceitful life, instead he has convinced himself that his identity is those things. His identity right. is his superiority. So then in that he feels secure. In that, okay, I am secure. I am great because I actually am this amazing wizard because of my pure blood, because of my yeah. lineage, all this stuff. But that doesn't actually mean anything. But mm. he is so convinced that it does because that's mm. what he has to cling to to move forward, and that's what he leads him. To it. Yeah, and that's what leads him to do things that he doesn't want to do, like the whole thing with with Dumbledore. He doesn't actually want to kill him, and that's right. why in the end he doesn't, and needs Snape to step in. Yeah, but at the same time he just can't see a world, he can't live a world that he doesn't do that because that. Is what right. he views his calling and his right. his right, how he's gonna his glory, glory. Yeah, is coming from living this pure blood life. Yep. It's how he'll be successful. Yep. I love
0: the word. You were you used the word attaching. Hmm. Threes, sixes, and nines—one of the triads they belong to together—is the attachment triad. Hmm. They actually attach to things. Yep. So threes will attach to things that bring them success. Sixes will attach yep. to things that bring them security, and nines will attach to things that bring them comfort. Hmm. So you're you're saying it? All, I mean, it's boom exactly what you're yeah. saying about the attachment thing. I have another three. Okay, this one was really hard for me oh,
1: because we don't man. get a lot
0: of him, but I think Sirius Black is a three.
1: Oh, oh I disagree. You disagree. Okay, yes. that was a tricky one. I thought three for a while with him, but late in the game, I don't know. Seeing some of the flashbacks that we see, I ended up moving to a different number. But yeah. I completely get it. Yeah. So I actually I actually ended on seven. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay, yes. cool. Threes and sevens have a lot in common. Yeah, you you were unsure if you were three. I or know seven at that one was point. my first number was a three. Yeah, that's right. Until I grew up. Until. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew- kid. I kid. <laughs> oh my gosh! There's that sevenness coming out. <laughs> the jokes, guys. <laughs> okay, so I'll put a little star on Sirius. Yes. We'll come back to him. I'm guessing from our Draco conversation that you had Lucius Malfoy as a three as well. I did. Okay. I wanted
1: him to be different. I yeah. really did because it's like it's just boring to have I <laughs> the Malfoy is the same. Yeah, but I just. I had him as three for a while as well. I'm happy to hear
0: your your argument when we get to but it. That'll be. Yeah, funny. I'm pretty convinced he's a four. Oh, that's what I ended up on instead.
1: A four. Again. Okay. There we are again with disagreeing about a wing. It's funny because actually four the one I was, I had for a little bit with Draco was actually four to start oh. for a different <laughs> well, reason. That's funny. And, and, and actually I can see why, why with the totally with the dad, you, you yeah. put it that way. But well, yeah, there's I'm a lot of freeness and
0: fourness in both of them. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Sure. Yep. Good stuff. Okay, other other threes that I had, uh, I had Gilderoy Lockhart. I had to throw him in there. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. All he wants is fame. Yep, my (laughs) one of my favorite lines. I quote it all the time. I say,
1: "Can everybody see me? Can you all
0: hear me?" This man is (laughs) just—he is obsessed with himself, and he is a chameleon. Oh, I mean, when we talk about the core weakness of deceit, Mm -hmm. like this man has the threes deceit. Oh, yeah. Down to a narcissistic level. It oh, is just yeah. I mean, at the, very, me.
1: at the end when he's in the tunnel <laughs> and it's like it, everything comes out. It's like, no, his whole life, his whole life is a lie because he's just deceitful, stealing other stories. And yeah. that's where his fame come from. And he right. does not regret it in the slightest. Yeah.
0: I also just love when he's introducing himself in Defense Against the Dark Arts. Yeah. He goes, let me introduce you to your new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Me. Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of the Dark Force Defense League, and five times winner of which weekly's most charming smile award? This man oozes charm and yes. like, and it works on a lot of people, right? Like oh, in yeah. the bookstore when everyone wants like Molly All Weasley. All the Weasley ladies yeah. are loving him. <laughs> yeah. But Harry, Harry's just like, yeah, this man is a fool. <laughs> it's so great. Hmm. Uh, another three that I had, and this one was just kind of in passing. Again, we don't see a lot of him, so I don't have a huge argument for it as far as the movie is concerned. But I think Barty Crouch Jr. is also a three. Hello, father. When he morphs into that's a good one, Matt I. Moody for the whole of yep. of the fourth movie. Yeah, it's hard to kind of see his threeness. I yeah. think with Mad-Eye Moody because he's playing another character. Yep. But again, you also can't avoid the fact that threes are chameleons, right? They do yes. play other characters. Yep. But I actually think it's more so because as I look at Barty Crouch Jr.'s energy, he's very assertive. Mm. He's very aggressive and assertive. He also goes berserk when his father says, "You are no son of mine." Mm. Right. His father says something to him about his status yes and he goes wild he actually wants to lunge forward and attack his father yep and then when dumbledore says call azkaban he says and this is why i really put him as a three he says i'll be welcome back like a hero (laughs) he's still spinning the situation to show him in a positive
1: light yes Hmm. so did you have any other threes So the only other three, this is a passing one, but I know this is one you wanted to touch on that we talked about earlier, which is Rita Skeeter. (laughs) I knew you were going to say her. I had her as a three. (laughs) I had her as a seven. A seven?
0: (laughs) Oh, that hurts. I know. I thought three for a while because she's very put together and all that. Well, we'll we'll debate this. Yes. But I landed on seven in the end.
1: (laughs) I don't see it. Shall we move on? Hey,
0: friends, we are going to pause this episode here because we're already at, well, over an hour, which is long enough for an episode. So, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks with the next part of our Harry Potter series, picking up with the Type 4s. We would love to hear from you guys. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Why? Please share with us. You can do that. Uh, Probably the easiest way to do that would be DMing me on uh, Instagram at Beyond Your Fears Coaching. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We do this for you guys. So if you didn't listen, we wouldn't do this. So you guys are great. Thanks for listening. Please give us good ratings, stars, all that jazz. All right, guys, have a wonderful rest of your day or evening. I don't know what time you're listening to this. So I'm just going to say goodbye now.
1: Bye.